Was that a little dog snore? No. <laughs> Did you toot? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're distracting me. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Filling Station Podcast. Whether you're on a break or on a walk or getting a cup of coffee, you can drop in and listen to me, Lindsay, and my little sister, Mallory, tell you some positive, fun, uplifting stories to help you get through these weird times. We can all use some positive vibes. Drinking a nice coffee this morning, which is not something I normally do, and I'm so excited about it and I'm feeling super hyped. About your iced coffee? <laughs> yes. It's the little things, man. How do you make iced coffee? Well, how we make iced coffee is the coffee we don't drink the day before. We just put it that's in the a, fridge. Yeah, that's a good idea. So <laughs> it should be done. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. so delicious. Anyway. Anyway. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. I'm liking this cadence. I feel very... Well, I wouldn't say very. I feel more prepared (laughs) than I do normally. I'm still not a researcher by trade. So it's. (laughs) I just do so much. Like, I am a researcher by trade and I do so much research that sometimes it's hard to get motivated to do it (laughs) all the time. I understand. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I get paralyzed by the research. That's always been an issue of mine. So I've got to cut it off eventually. You know what I mean? Oh, like you get paralyzed by doing too much like you don't know yeah, when to I just be I done. just keep I just keep looking and looking and looking and looking and double checking and fact checking and then eventually if you look hard enough every story's got an opposite version and then you run into the run the risk of losing what you're talking about quick question and I know mm-hmm. we're kind of going on a tangent here but as a lawyer is there like a database that you guys use specifically when researching I guess it would be like old cases and things like that. Yeah. Like you're not a, just using Google. No. I mean, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. There's a couple of different ones. There's uh, and the, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and how they work is just mind boggling. Um, the way that you can actually research things. There's one called Westlaw. That's really good. And LexisNexis, which you've probably used before oh, for other yeah. things. But Lexus Nexus has a legal one, but honestly don't know how anybody practiced before <laughs> everything was online because you I had was... to go to the library and pull the books and okay. track stuff down. And it's, I crazy. was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, we wouldn't have a podcast if we didn't have, I mean, we wouldn't have the podcast if we didn't have the internet for like a lot of reasons, <laughs> but <laughs> definitely because we wouldn't have anything to talk about except for ourselves right. and our own stories. But I do remember in college, like going to the library and doing research, <clears throat> yeah, like in the stacks and stuff. Um, We'd have to do I it mean, over ham radio if we didn't have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> for over the road truckers. <laughs> oh man, that's an interesting. It's an interesting idea. Um, all right, so. What are we doing today? Well, today we're continuing our our thread and kind of our new newer approach to the podcast, and we're focusing on some first. So we're focusing on some African Americans, some Black American, Black Americans that have 
um, been the first to do something that maybe, at least in my case, do not get the love that they deserve and the recognition that they deserve. And so the more that I can talk about this guy, the the better, I think. I talk about him all the time, even before we started doing this this podcast and before we started trying to um, focus on black stories. Um, and so I've had this one ready to go for a while and I'm excited to talk about it. And I think that's kind of what we're doing, which we're trying to shed light on um, trailblazers. I love it. Um, I think... Particularly today, trailblazers in today's episode. Oh, in today's episode. Yes, yes, yes. I see what you're saying. Um, perfect. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad that I got the memo and I'm on board for that. So <laughs> <laughs> good. that's good to know. Um, I went first earlier this week. So why don't you go first today? <clears throat> All right. Well, I'm going to start with a quiz. All right. And you might recognize that this is a trick. This is a trick question. But still, I want you to just Use your common knowledge and tell me who was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. That's a really good question. His number? I, I'm they, thinking about the movie 41. Or 42. 42. Darn it. Yeah. What's his name? And that person's name is Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. Yes, he played, he debuted in the major leagues with the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15th, 1947. And every April, the Major League Baseball has Jackie Robinson Day and all of the players wear number 42. It's the only time that anybody can wear 42 in the major leagues because it's retired what? for all. Yeah, it's retired for all um, teams. Jeez. So every single team has 42 retired out on the wall or wherever. And so everybody wears 42 on April 15th um, or around there during Major League Baseball. It's a really cool honor. Um, and Jackie Robinson certainly deserves a ton, a ton of credit um, for what he did to break down the color barrier in baseball and in, and in a lot of sports. Um, but he is actually not the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. That honor goes to Moses Fleetwood Walker, a.k.a. Fleet. And Fleet was born in Ohio. He went to Oberlin College and played baseball at Oberlin College, um, which is also the – I was looking up their notable alumni this morning. They have – for a small liberal arts school in Ohio, they have a very robust alumni network. Really? Um, cool. Yes. And I was uh, encouraged to see that Fleetwood – or Fleet was actually included – in that list of notable alumni because he is so forgotten um, and not recognized as the first African-American to play major league baseball. And I think one of the, one of the big issues is that it's not major league baseball that we know now. So it was a major league baseball association, but it wasn't like MLB like we know now. And one of the reasons was is because he debuted on May 1st, 1884. <laughs> what? May 1st, 1884. May 1st, 1884. Yep. He, that was 130-ish years ago. Yep. 63 years before Jackie Robinson made his debut for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Moses Fleetwood Walker. Which um, is the most incredible name, by the way. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so I just, beautiful. And I'm going to talk about his brother here in a minute, too. And his brother's got a fantastic name. And um, so he went by Fleet. His dad was Moses Walker. And so then he went by Fleet because his 
he was a junior, um, but he was one of seven or eight kids. Nobody's really sure how many kids are in the family, but one of a lot. Um, and he went to Oberlin College, like I said, and he played on the baseball team at Oberlin College. They had a baseball team back in the 18, you know, 1880s, 1870s. Um, and they actually played the University of Michigan in a game and him uh, and another guy just dominated Michigan. Um, and the Michigan players after the game were like, you should come to Michigan and play for us and transfer in the 1800s, you know, transfer to Michigan to play for them. Um, And so he did. And so he went to Michigan. Um, He played it. He played at Michigan um, in the 1800s and was a part of like their, some of their earlier teams um, and did a lot of uh, fundraising even back then for uniforms and for the field and everything. And it's really interesting. There's, there's a lot, quite a lot of information online about Moses. Um, And so he also went to law school at Michigan. He was a lawyer. Um, And after he, before he finished his career at Michigan and his college career, he decided to give professional baseball a shot. And so he was a catcher and Mallory, there's a, um, there's a, a term in baseball that's that when Catchers put on all of their gear, their mask and their their chest protector and their knee gu- shin guards and all that sort of stuff. It's, they call it the tools of idiocracy or tools of ignorance, something like that, because it's just like, who would ever want to be a catcher? Like to sit back <laughs> yeah. there and like get <laughs> your brain beat in, basically. Well, like in balls the- being thrown at your chest at like <laughs> 90, 100 miles an hour. Exactly. Well, you know, in the 1800s, Mallory, they didn't use that stuff. They didn't they- use any any gear every now and then they'd wear a mask but they didn't even use a gloves so moses or fleet excuse me i need to call him fleet because that's what he went by so fleet was a catcher back in the 1800s and he did it barehanded and every now and then he'd wear a mask if he you know had gotten hit in the face or something he might put one on but he was a no, no other protection besides that um so he was a barehanded catcher so he leaves Michigan, decides to try his hand at professional baseball, catches on with a couple of different teams, and then he gets signed by Toledo, which was in the American Association, um, and he makes his debut in Louisville um, on May 1st, 1884, like I mentioned. And so, you know, back then, the there wasn't segregation in Major League Baseball, but there was um, certainly a ton of racism and a ton of mm-hmm. prejudice. And so he had actually um, been on a team a couple of years prior and they were going to play the Louisville team and the Louisville team refused to play them because of fleet being on the team. And so Ugh. he came back two or three years later um, and actually made his debut uh, for uh, Toledo. And so he played that whole season played really well. Um, went through a ton of trials and tribulations, which um, you can only imagine back then. Like they even talk about that debut game. He, they refused to serve him breakfast at the hotel. Um, and so oh, he had to like try what? to track down some food before the game. He met resistance, not only with the opposing teams and the fans and um, the other managers, but even on his own team. team. Yeah. And so let me go back to the fact that he was a, um, that he was a catcher, a barehanded catcher, and his 
one of his battery mates, so one of his fellow pitcher, not fellow pitchers, but one of the pitchers that he caught was a guy named Tony Mullane. And they actually kept a secret and they never really talked about it until Tony came out years later about this. But this is a quote from Tony Mullane. And Tony Mullane was known back then as being one of the hardest throwers. Big old dude called him a workhorse because he just pitched all the time and he threw really, really hard. Um, and he was a really good pitcher. And this is a quote from Tony Mullane about Fleet. He, Walker, was the best catcher I ever worked with, but I disliked a Negro, and whenever I had to pitch to him, I used to pitch anything I wanted without looking at his signals. One day, he signaled me for a curve, and I shot a fastball at him. He caught it and came down to me. He said, I'll catch you without signals, but I won't catch you if you're going to cross me when I give you signals. Um, and all the rest of that season, he caught me and caught anything I pitched without knowing what was coming. Oh, my god can you talk a little bit about that maybe just for a second so that people who don't play baseball realize yes. how crazy that is okay so a couple of things is first off is that this tony Malang character says that he's the best catcher he's ever worked with but his freaking racism and prejudice just refused him like he just couldn't handle it but mm -hmm. i disliked a negro and whenever i had to pitch to him i would pitch anything i wanted without looking at his signals so in baseball it's disgusting and in baseball so a 90 mile an hour fastball gets to the plate in about four tenths of a second right so who knows how hard tony Mullane was throwing back in the day but you get four tenths of a second from a hitter's perspective you get one tenth of a second to see to recognize the pitch to the second tenth of a second, you have to decide where it's going and and if you're going to swing. And then the last two tenths of a second, you don't even see it. It's already past you. Like you just can't keep up with it. So the fact that, um, that he was not telling he would throw whatever he wanted and, Mose, and Fleet didn't know what he was actually going to throw is just mind-boggling difficult. And you'll see it every now and then in a baseball game where they get their signals crossed and the catcher just looks like he doesn't know what he's, you know, just straight miss it. Mm -hmm. Those pitches come so fast. They move so much. There's so much action, not to mention the batter standing there. There's swingings going, you know, swings going on. So the fact that he caught this dude for an entire year <laughs> without knowing what was coming is mind-boggling. Barehanded bare is mind-boggling and abusive. I mean, that is mm -hmm. like offensive. I mean, all this, his whole story is pretty offensive. Um just the, the treatment that he received, I should say. Um, so anyway, after that debut season, he bounced around a little bit, um, played for a couple other different teams, uh, got injured because that's the way, that's what happened to catchers. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. barehanded catcher, you're going to get your ass kicked pretty much. And um, so after he finished his playing career, he actually became the manager of an opera house in Cardez, Ohio. How cool. I know. And he invented and patented three different techniques for changing movie reels, which is pretty wild and cool. And he and his little brother, Weldy, jointly edited a Black Issues newspaper in the 18, in 1904. They had a Black Issues newspaper in Ohio called The Equator. And it actually explored the idea of Black Americans immigrating to Africa and it morphed into a book called our home colony, um, which was a book that he wrote and a, uh, a, a book uh, reviewer or whatever said it was a, the most learned book a professional athlete has ever written. Wow. And it was about like the potential of immigrating to Africa from America. Um, 
he did have some rough run-ins. He got into a, into a fight um, with some guys that were being incredibly racist to him and hurling slurs. And he actually stabbed one and killed him. Um, and he was unbelievably, even in that time, he was unbelievably acquitted of that crime by a juror, a jury of 12 white men. Um, <clears throat> Gosh, yeah, that's remarkable. It's remarkable. And so last quiz here about fleet. Oh, gosh. Who was the second black American to play major league baseball? Jackie Robinson. Wrong. It was <laughs> fleets. Fleets little brother that I just mentioned. Weldy. Oh my gosh. I oh know. My gosh. I know. And so Fleet and Weldy actually played together on the Toledo team. So the first two African-Americans to play Major League Baseball were on the same team and they were brothers, Fleet and Weldy Walker. Why do people not talk about this? Is it just because... That's an like... excellent question. And that'll be the last thing I talk about is because the one of the articles I read, which is a really good article on uh, Sabre.org, S-A-B-R.org, which is a stands for sabermetrics, which are these guys that just like dive into baseball analytics like crazy, but it's a really good article. And it talks about why the, the author's theory on why fleet is not recognized as the first um, African-American major league baseball player. And his theory is that before fleet came along, it just wasn't even thought about. And so fleet by fleet playing in the major leagues these white owners and these white players and these white fans and cities and everybody was like, no, 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 we can't have that. And it started the segregation of major league baseball. And okay. so it, then it lasted these 63 years until Jackie Robinson finally oh. broke back through. So his fleet play in major league baseball started the segregation. Whereas Jackie Robinson's ended the segregation, which is one of the reasons why people think that, associate Jackie Robinson so much with being the first person to break that color barrier. Okay. Because it broke into the two leagues. So you had kind of, yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, which is really sad because mm. here's this guy that just wanted to play major league baseball. And he, by doing that started this segregation in professional mm -hmm. sports, which is really, really a bummer. And, um, but fleet, died in his home in Cleveland um, on May 11th, 1924. He unfortunately um, had a couple of, uh, he had a couple of kids, but he didn't have any grandkids. And so he's got no direct descendants that are still alive. Um, there is a really good book out there that I am ordering today that I've read snippets of called Fleet Walker's Divided Heart. Um, and it's all about his trials and tribulations that he went through playing Major League Baseball and his just incredible life. Because not only is he a footnote, and he shouldn't be, but he lived this incredible life outside of baseball, too. Right. And, like afterwards, like going in, was it um, managing or owning an opera house? And yeah, he owned like an opera patenting, house. He like was a full blown patents for. Yeah, he's a full blown like, reels, inventor. Like movie reels, like. And lawyer and author and editor. Wow. I mean, he's a, uh, he's. I love it. I know. He I'm sorry. Incredible. I talked a little too long, but. No, but, it's perfect. We need to like give him this airtime. This is an incredible know. story. There's actually one of the first times that I saw a fleet story was on drunk history. And so there actually is a drunk history about fleet. Um, but the way drunk history is, it's a kind of tongue in cheek and kind of funny, but it's still the more that we can talk about him, the better. And yeah, 
Definitely. because there are these trailblazers that, that did this sort of stuff in the past that we need to recognize. And so Moses Fleetwood Walker, man. And hopefully we'll out. be able to find more of these stories. And just if you don't know, Drunk History is a TV show where comedians <laughs> or actors and um, different individual celebrities actually get drunk and tell their version of historical stories. Yeah. But they're actually like they do a good job. Yeah, like, they do a good job. And it is really entertaining. And they were sharing the story of Fleet. And that's how yeah. one of the I mean, I'd heard of him before, but that's one of the ways I got into him. So, well, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Fleet Walker. Moses Fleetwood Walker. Mm. And his brother, Weldy. And his brother, Weldy. The coolest names. I know. <laughs> so cool. Well, um, thank you for sharing that story. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you today a little bit more of a current story. All right. So um, I'm going to tell you today about Lauren Simmons. So I hadn't heard of Lauren Simmons. And when we decided to do this episode i just kind of thought about what might be interesting to talk about and so i will get to that (laughs) who lauren simmons is um so according to her linkedin profile um she's currently 25 according to her linkedin profile she's a keynote speaker women's and youth personal finance expert author film producer tv show creator but what she is most notably known for and how she kind of broke into like the scene in in modern history is at 22 years old, she became the youngest only full-time female employee and second ever. So sorry, it's not first, but I still thought it was really cool. Um, African-American woman working as a trader at the New York stock exchange. No way. Yes. Okay. So when we say the second black woman ever, in the history of the New York Stock Exchange to work there and the youngest woman ever at the age of 22. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Yeah. So um, she said when she got like signed in or sworn in that she out of 225, I don't know if I just said this, out of 225 individuals, the person who like oversaw the book that they like sign basically i think it's as similar to like a swearing in yeah. situation yeah. um because they have to pass like a very strenuous test um <clears throat> yes yeah, she was only the the second black woman out of 225 people so and and you know it's it's important to call out here part of the story is the fact that like the new york stock exchange like floor trading floor is primarily still to this day white women the actual president is a is a I said white women, I think. White <laughs> yeah. men. I was going to say, I was like, damn, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, it's primarily all white men. It's like yeah. a total boys club. It's like Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I think that the president right now is a woman, which is really cool. Um, but it's still like very historically, it's those boys clubs I just mentioned. So I want to talk a little bit about Lauren and how she got into this because her story is very interesting. In 2016, she graduated from Kennesaw State University. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but Kennesaw, Kennesaw yeah. You know it? Oh, yeah. Kennesaw, Georgia. In, uh, yeah, Georgia. Yeah. So um, Lauren was born on August 11th, 1994. As I mentioned, she's 25 and she grew up in Marietta, Georgia. Um, so again, graduated from Kennesaw State University in 2016 with a degree in genetics. Okay. 
right? Because I'm like, how do you even get into this? This is crazy. Um, just, I didn't even, I have to admit, like, I had to do a lot of research as to, like, what do they do? <laughs> yeah, what does really it mean? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that as well, because I think it's relevant. Um, but I didn't even know that that was, like, an option or something. I didn't even, wasn't even thinking about the stock exchange when I was <laughs> in college or right. graduating. So Lauren knew that she wanted to move to New York City. And she got this degree in genetics and she said she's always really loved numbers and she's always been super interested in numbers. And she moved to New York City and didn't have um, a job. So she started networking. So she said that through networking, she actually was able to, that's essentially what like led to this role as um, a trader on the New York Stock Exchange floor. So she met Richard Rosenblatt. So, um, and he is the person who eventually hired her. So she was, um, according to her LinkedIn, as I said, because <laughs> it's so cool to like be able to go see her LinkedIn because we're talking about a super relevant, like current story. I know, this a is New York wild. stock, ex- New York stock exchange equity trader for Rosenblatt securities. So a side note about Richard Rosenblatt, because I think it's kind of interesting that he hired her. So he's kind of, uh, he started on the New York stock stock exchange floor in 1969 this is like a good old boy richard actually goes by the name dick so um which i just thought it was funny because it was like dick started on the new york stock exchange floor in 1969 and he is like very listen to this he's currently one of three (laughs) senior executive governors of the new york stock exchange he served in various capacities as an official of the new york stock exchange for more than 30 years he's co-founder and first chairman of the board of trustees of the new york stock exchange floor members emergency fund and a founder and first president of the organization of independent floor brokers so basically this guy is like deep in this game he's the real deal he's the real deal so somehow through networking i mean i read this through in um, a couple of different articles but he met with lauren and what he said stood out to him was that she was confident and quick and that she just really like surprised him and made him like just basically that she was like her confidence, I guess, like radiated right. off of her. And um, so he offered her a job, which is remarkable. So in doing some more research, what I learned is that um, someone said that like getting to the floor can be really tough. Like it is not something that these jobs are not like posted on monster.com or <laughs> LinkedIn. It's like, you have to know somebody to get down there. So she um, essentially got this role. And as we've mentioned a few times, like became the first and youngest female at 22, first African-American youngest woman at 22 full-time female employee at the stock exchange. Okay. Second ever African-American. I just want to keep reiterating that. But was she the Um, first African-American woman? No. Okay. So she was the second African-American woman, the youngest Mm -hmm. woman in history. Go ahead. I got it. I'm I'm locked in. (laughs) I'm butchering this because I'm I'm like, again, trying to um, articulate what exactly this means. You're not butchering it. You got it. Go. Um, so I had to research like what this actually means. So again, these are the individuals that are like on the floor, like the like movie scenes of people like running around and like yelling at each other and everything. So a floor broker is someone who represents clients 
client orders at the point of sale. So again, what the hell does that even mean? Um, so apparently their clients can include bank, broker dealers, hedge funds, mutual funds, pension funds, day traders, and even some high net worth individuals. So they are like the eyes and ears of their client stocks. They give them like right. market color, they said. So let them know the market rumors and find liquidity from like the other hundred or so floor brokerage shops. So they are like running around and stuff, but I guess it's evolved and there's people think that it's um, kind of archaic and it's not like they're doing a lot of electronic trading and like using cool. algorithms and stuff. So it's really like the market opens at nine 30 and goes until four. And so they said at the beginning um, it's all chaos and then it kind of like mellows out and they're doing like everything on their computers. Everyone walks around with like a handheld computer and is like making deals on these a handheld computer, also known as like an iPad. <laughs> um, anyway, they're walking around and like making deals throughout the day. And then it gets kind of crazy at the end of the day, um, right before the closing bell the market closes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, apparently that unlike other places on wall street, the floor actually has a unique collection of individuals. They said that like, Unlike investment bankers who are like mostly come from Ivy, Ivy historically come from Ivy League schools, um, that there are individuals on the floor who are like former athletes and army vets and individuals who maybe didn't go to school but have worked at like auction houses and other fast paced environments. And that you have to be, it's important to have like a good work ethic and be able to like remember orders and instructions and then again be good with numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, that is basically kind of like what they do. Um, Lauren spent uh, almost two years working on the floor and there was a lot of like notoriety around her. A lot of, she got a lot of press for, you know, having such like a significant part in history. And so she started to go and and speak more openly and travel around and um, then also like advise women and children and help be someone who uh, like a leader is doing like personal finance. Oh, cool. for, like, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, and then she also is currently apparently, and I tried to find some more information on this when I read about this, it was an article from 2019, but apparently um, they are going to be doing a movie about her. And the actress Kersey Clemens will produce and star in uh, this biographical film based on Simmons's life. So, dude, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and if you look up pictures of her, she's she's just like doing a lot of. I hate to say this because I don't want to like use this term because it doesn't matter, but she's beautiful and she's doing like all these different like modeling and she's been you know she has a lot of like spreads and forbes and like all these different magazines and anyway i just think it's really cool i like that it was like so relevant to what's going on now um and she just broke through and and all of the interviews that she uh gave she really you know she acknowledges the fact that um there is kind of like an issue with diversity and that it is archaic and that there's, it's just all these like white men that are supposed, she's like for, for like people who are supposed to be like predicting the future. It's kind of interesting how like stuck in the past they are. (laughs) 
which That's is really interesting. Point. Yeah. And she said that like when she was in that role that people were often very like shocked, you know, would be like, what? Yeah. You're a floor trader. How'd you, and you're black and you're a woman and you're so young. And like, how did you get that? And she's like hard work, like just really like putting her nose to the grindstone. And mm. um, so I think she was really successful. And I just thought that was super interesting because I didn't even realize that you know, how people got there or what that looked like. I think that's so interesting because I like to, I mean, I'm definitely not like a finance guy and I, you know, Alicia handles all of our stocks and all of that sort of stuff. And so I don't really know what the hell's going on, but there is like this whole, we all know what the New York stock exchange is. I mean, like anybody on the street and like you see these athletes and celebrities ringing the bell and then the closing bell and you hear, you know, you see all this stuff online, but you don't really know, like, I don't really know what's going on there or how those people even get into that position. So the, the f- yeah, it's like the face of wall street, but nobody really understands it. Nobody understands it. And people understand it. Your future husband certainly <laughs> understands it. Um, <laughs> but that's so awesome and so cool. And I don't, I wanted to give her all the credit, but also like shout out to Dick and the old, right. the old white man for, which is, you know, yeah, her which is why I mentioned him. Like, I didn't want it to be at all about him, but like, as like for good or for bad, like maybe he just woke up, or maybe he's like, yeah, previously tried. I'm not sure, but like, you do have to give him credit for taking this step. It is all just like really sad, though, that we're even talking about this as if like that's progressive in 2017. <clears throat> you know, you're a hundred percent right, and I think that. Um, that's something that I kind of struggled with whenever we were talking about doing this, this topic is that it feels kind of weird to talk about these first because sometimes it is, it's embarrassing sometimes Mm -hmm. and you don't want to discuss these first. You just want to, she, you know, I'm sure that she wants to just pave the way for other people of all races and creeds to just be traitors and like not worry about who's first or second or anything but at the same point it's important to show that there's still barriers out there that need to be broken down and so mm-hmm. shout out to her especially for taking that because i've and not to go on a little tangent here but i've been the new person in those types of situations where everybody knows everybody and it's fast paced i've been that person before i can't imagine mm-hmm. being 22 years old looking completely different than everybody else in that type of high stakes game. Like the, she's. I should have also mentioned this, like what I didn't say at the beginning, which is a really, really important is that the test that they have to take, there's an 80% fail rate. And so people did not expect her to pass. And she said she studied the book from like cover to cover for a month straight. And she passed. And she said that like when, they learned that she passed that you could hear like a pin drop. People were so shocked. Dude, I don't know if that was like awesome. they didn't want her to or not, but I think they were just like this person who like didn't go to a big Ivy League right. school and didn't even get like a degree in finance. Like that's crazy. Passed man. this test. Shout out to um, her. What was her name again? Lauren Simmons. Lauren Simmons. Yeah. So hopefully this like bio- biographical movie film. I'm not sure what extent if it's going to be. Well, to keep like, an eye on it, keep our listeners yeah. tuned into it. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Sorry, I got a little distracted. There was there was a little bit of movement happening in the apartment as we wake up and get ready for the day. So yeah, we had a little bit of movement here too. So I'm sorry if I distracted you. <laughs> you did a little bit, but it's okay. I'm sorry. That was really cool, and I love that. Is something that's so relevant. So is she still on the floor or is she doing something else? No, now? okay, she's not. From what I can tell, um, she is not. But that's right. I think she's like an entrepreneur and Sweet. she's like out doing these like she's touring and like giving keynotes and she's an author and she's a producer for her film. And um, dude, so unbelievable that she's that makes me feel um, kind of bad about myself that I, I can't even imagine somebody writing a biographical movie about me at 25 years 20, old. Right. <laughs> but shout out to Lauren Simmons, man. What a beast. That is, that's a great yes. story, Mallory. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to have to look her up. Well, thank you. Yeah, you will. There's tons of press on her. So I feel like I, I didn't totally deliver her um, and maybe the form that she deserved. Stop so, saying uh, that. You did a great job. Oh, Be positive. Be positive. Um, I think, you know, part of that was not understanding what that job meant. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to get down down and dirty to try and figure that out. Um, but, yeah, definitely look her up. There's tons of articles and videos. And um, so Sweet. I highly suggest it. I will do it. And you can do anything. We can do, yeah. We can do anything. Well. All right. Love you, kiddo. Love you, too. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Filling Station pod. Mallory and I are having a fantastic time delivering you these hilarious and uplifting stories. If you want to be involved with the podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Filling Station pod, or you can email us at the Filling Station pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.